Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I'm one half of Wannabe Games, and I make role-playing games. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig. Hi, Jess. Uh, yeah, I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games as well. And uh, yeah, we have a guest. Surprise, surprise. Hi, hi, Pete. Tell us about yourself. Hi, Craig. Hi, Jess. Good morning. Um, so I've been here before, but the quick short of it, Pete Petrusha. Uh, I run a game company called Imagining Games. Um, we've made, or we're still working on Chew, the role-playing game. We have uh, Rest in Pieces, got nominated for Best Rules last year. And uh, I do a handful of other things like, you know, promoting RPGs across the country at uh, a bunch of different conventions and such. So it's great to be here. Great to be yeah, back. Yeah, thanks for coming back. And you have picked a topic that I love. I, we've had a good streak of topics that I love. Craig needs to like get a break here. <laughs> like it's, it's all been coming right, right down the pike for me. Um, that's not the right metaphor, but <laughs> <laughs> you, you picked, um, you suggested these two topics. You suggested a, a themed day of talking about anime and TTRPGs. So our first topic, we're, we're discussing GMing anime style games and this this topic is kind of big i mean you have you have chew which would you consider an anime style game i would not but it's funny um because i was thinking about this topic and was thinking about some things like anime and i can see the influences um i didn't initially because you know i lumped it in with comic books which there's a lot of influences in comic books but the uh the major artist for chew the comics the graphic novel uh, was Rob Guillory. And, you know, he would talk about his references from like Ron Mahaff and Headlopper and all kinds of other um, anime influences. So once you know it's there, it's like you can see it. Um, there's even in the extremes of like the facial expressions, like how they react, how they overreact, which is part of something the anime does well of like being emotional and, you know, kind of pulling out vulnerabilities by kind of uh, spotlighting them with overreactions. Yeah, I, I think that you're... You're right on that. There are probably a lot of anime. If you don't know a lot about anime, anime is really just means it's short for animation. It's the Japanese word for animation. It is, you know, cartoons and also manga, which are the comics. And it is a huge, broad topic. There's a lot of different genres within this. It's like saying that animation itself is a genre, which is not. There's so many things that can fall under that banner. And it is hugely influential, especially from people from my generation. Like a lot of us grew up watching anime, um, got really into it. And there are all sorts of things that have popped up into the zeitgeist that are influenced by it. Like the whole Pokemon genre is influenced by this anime uh, that became super popular when I was like eight. And uh, there are there are romance, there's action. Uh, it has anime has even popped up in films like Nope. There is an Akira motorcycle slide in Nope. <laughs> I mean, the Akira motorcycle slide appears in so many different films. So I I think that if you did look deep into some of your uh, your favorite regular comic books or superhero movies, you will start to see some of those influences bleed out. And I think that you can also see these influences in a lot of different uh, role-playing games. And a lot of people have made role-playing games that are like explicitly meant to be anime style. Yeah. So I know you mentioned the jamming part. So just to kind of get us on topic with that is the, the big thing is, uh, you know, a lot of times people, they run the games or they are inspired to run games or adventures based on the media they take in. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, this might be when Game of Thrones is hot or, you know, the new Thor movie or something. But for a lot of people, um, whether it's we were talking a little before uh, before we went on air, whether it's like Japanese um, RPGs like Final Fantasy, uh, which would be lumped in with all, all the same influences or if they're watching Death Note. Uh, Attack from Titan, um, Attack of Titan, before somebody flames me for that. <laughs> but um, the idea is it's just another popular stream of media that is being that is influencing game answers and influencing players, um, influencing how they have theater of the mind. Mm -hmm. uh, how do they imagine their characters acting when they use their perks, abilities, special powers? What does it look like to them? So that that's, I think, the broader idea is what when, when you're a game master how do you help the players 
um, feel like they're in an anime world or an anime adventure or anime characters. And as a player, kind of the same thing. Uh, what in the game, when we talk about game mechanics, maybe like what in the game helped them uh, feel like they're being these characters, right? Like what are the influences that come from anime that we want to put in our games if we're anime fans or we're emulating anime references? Right. And I think that the first thing you have to start with is knowing what kind of feel you're going for within that realm. I, I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the anime I watch is just like slice of life or romantic comedy, but I have gotten into a lot of things. Like I like the magical girl genre a lot. It's one of my favorites. I grew up with Sailor Moon, for example, uh, <laughs> like, but there are different tropes that play within it. So if, if your players or if you as a GM, you're hoping to emulate, emulate that anime style, it's important, as we've said before on this podcast, to kind of pinpoint those touchstones that you like those, those beats you want to hit and like distill it down to those important points. Cause you're not going to be able to capture everything. It's a different style. It's a different, you're, you're doing a RPG now that you can't do a full anime. If you want to just do an anime, you got to just write an anime. You, you got to, you know, move some things around, but thinking about like, what do you want to capture uh, is first and then how. Yeah. Craig, I know you're kind of, you were a little uh, on the fence of like, not really on the fence, but like, hey, I just, you know, you didn't feel like as immersed in the topic. Yeah, so well. What there are things me? like Pokemon, like what, when you think anime, what does jump at you? Okay, well, I found myself, as as Jess was talking about. Um, Sailor Moon she, too. What, what she grew up sometimes. with. Yeah. Right. With what she grew up with, I thought myself, oh, wait a second. I know a ton of anime because I just haven't, I don't think of myself as an anime person because I don't watch a lot of it now, but I've seen a sure. few of the classic movies. I've seen Princess Mononoke and I've seen Akira. We talked about oh, it last year. But I grew up on Voltron and Robotech and oh, yeah. Battle of the Planets. Classics. Um, yeah. So. And, and I have strong memories of some of those things. So like a lot of what I think about anime is informed by the things that I remember from that. And I know that, you know, at least some of those things are, are definitely there still in, um, in, you know, more contemporary anime. And, and to Jess's point, I think, you know, it can be a matter of picking the, the handful of strongest points, like the things that you associate so strongly with anime that they're kind of inherent, like, you know, like, you know, this type of anime that I'm looking for, like, yeah, I want an action anime, like, you know, a battle anime, right? Well, what are the things that are part of battle anime that you want to have, like, and and focus on having those things be very strong right from the outset. And then you can always add other nuances and things later. So like with battle anime, like the things that strike me and you could, by all means, anime experts more than me anyway, um, feel free to, to fill in on that is, you know, the, the training sequences are, are you know, typically montage and they kind of get you there as quickly as possible. Any sort of transformation that takes place um, that, you know, pre that uh, is a precursor to the fight taking place, like if it's the magical girl transforming or if it's Voltron becoming Voltron, is always like a set piece. Like it's a big moment. You describe like so as a GM, you want to describe right, yeah. all of the lions coming together to form Voltron. You want to just like let the players describe their character sh shooting up into the air into this vivid background and spinning around and all their clothing changing and this power, you know, coming from whatever source it's coming from. And let that be a part of the of the thing every time. Like Sailor Moon isn't the same the episodes aren't the same if Sailor Moon and, and the various other characters don't have that moment where they like, okay, <laughs> shit's going to get real. Like <laughs> they're, they're going to transform into whatever they're going to transform into. And then there's going to be whatever the story, you know? Um, so yeah, just like pick those handful of things and then you can kind of build other little nuances um, and, and, and trust the players to find those other little nuances too. If you give them a few big backdrop things, They've got something to to latch onto, and they'll they'll fill in the gaps. For that battle anime style genre, like the fight scenes are the emotional high point in these shows. So making sure that you're like you're building up basically for every scene, like every adventure you're playing, you're building up to some sort of fight because that's the purpose of this genre. So you want to also tie in the the rest of the play into that buildup because once you get to the fight. That's where all of your drama is going to happen. That's where your your people are going to have their emotional moments. They're going to be they're going to be confessing feelings. They're going to be 
um, confronting old enemies. They're going to be having their villainous monologues. Like that is the time where, where it's happening. Uh, so really focusing all of your energy on that. And that's what you want to do to get that going. I, I role play or GM'd, not role played. I GM'd a game of command rights, which is based on Transformers and Voltron-esque kind of uh, big mech. It's mostly Voltron or mostly Transformers though. Uh, and it was set up in a way that allowed me to have those fun transformation moments and describe them. Like the whole point was like, look at my robot. It's so cool. Look at him transform. He just did a cool flip. Like that was really the height of the game. And it was the part that was supposed to be fun. And it was. That's funny because I, you, I, it's both of you said so many great things, but like it's the, what about Transformers? I mean, like Transformers, I'm pretty sure is straight up anime that was yes. brought to the US to sell toys. Like, yes. like it was literally <laughs> created. Um, but it's funny how, how so many things, whether it, you know, when I think of Robotech because of my, my age group too, it's just, there's so many things that are anime, whether it's Sailor Moon, the Power Rangers, Transformers, uh, Pokemon that are like so embedded into pop culture for, and for so long that you know, you can forget that they're part of like this, this infusion of culture. Um, but Craig, you mentioned, uh, you know, the whole transformation thing. I mean, like that, that was such a great point that <laughs> maybe it's something that's very specifically cool for role-playing games in particular or pretend because like, there are so many stories in anime that are like, slice of life like jess said and then something bad happens or there's bad people and we need to step up we need to be better than we are we need to be superheroes and like like craig like you're saying the transformation is the like we can be those superheroes we're literally seeing like whether it's teenagers or schoolgirls or you know regular people who aren't you know superheroes transform to become what they need to be and usually they're actually like overpowered right like they're they're more powerful than necessary because <laughs> they can rinse and repeat to defeat the bad guys you know unless it's a movie or something well they're like also like over cool they're like so cool <laughs> like yeah, that's like, the good thing <laughs> whether it's voltron like like you like you mentioned too or okay well, we're these normal people but we have these these even our transformations can transform, you know, like we can have the, the lion bots that then turn to the giant uh, individual. But uh, if it's Dragon Ball Z, like these super scion forms, like it's, we're not just good enough being like the greatest martial arts ever, uh, artists ever, but we can then transform into these like Superman formations. So it is funny. I wonder if it has, it probably says a lot about just culture that we, uh, a lot of, especially particularly young men, are, are have this power fantasy in life that we feel restricted or held down. That we we don't always have a war to fight, and it's like so inherently every little boy is looking for some reason, some purpose. Which, what is their life's battle? And that may emulate into what Jess you were saying too. That like every, uh, not every, but so many anime, it's always about climax battles, right? Rising action into the three act structure of like, what is the boss fight? Like there's a boss fight coming because it's anime. <laughs> I, I think too, like uh, that applies for the magical girl stuff too. little girls as well. Like we don't want to be ordinary. We want to be extraordinary. We want to be secretly extraordinary, extraordinary because our regular lives are, are so boring. And I think that's true for like so many of us, like that power fantasy is so exciting and maybe that's a great way to kind of have that happen for as a GM give the ordinary life. Cause you're, you're constantly reflecting back to that ordinary life. Otherwise the extraordinary life wouldn't be as extraordinary. Yeah. It would be the new ordinary. And I think that's the difference between a lot of that traditional medieval fantasy stuff where everything, everybody is like kind of on the same playing field, but in these like, like in Transformers, where it's you know it's robots in disguise. Don't let them know. Or Sailor Moon, you don't don't give away your secret. I mean, Dragon Ball Z, even to some extent, because you have the Super Saiyan transformations. Although that's much more of like everyone is like super super. Yeah, uh, that's a little different. But we're calling back to the ordinary world, or or making sure that you have a cast of NPCs who are less powered but need to be protected. Uh, those are like good, good things to throw in if you are GMing a game. 
like I, I like to include it anyway in my, like, if I'm playing D&D, I always include some NPCs that are just like, we're normal people, but you love us because we're cute and you got to protect us from the bad guy. <laughs> uh, it, it includes some some higher stakes. And then if you're doing something like a magical girl anime, you also have homework to deal with. Like you got to do yeah. chores. You got to go home and and help your grandpa, like whatever it is. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, the slice of life part, right? But if you don't have the contrast, because there's almost phases, like what, what Craig was saying, there's almost like this, we are either, you know, way up here, super powerful, or we're normal people. But it also has this like dramatic line that usually it's not something they kind of flip flip flop back and forth too easily or too commonly. They're kind of dealing with normal issues as normal people or super issues as super people. That's exactly it. Yeah. But is in the game, you almost want to find a way to separate it, which is interesting because there's some games like I was thinking of of Dreams and Magic. It's one of these games that has like you kind of play avatars. So you ha- your your ability as a normal person is kind of to um, pull some of your power, your superpowers into your your normal character. Like maybe if your your avatar character has like is like a cat human, like a think of like a big strong white tiger or humanoid or something, right? Maybe you could like pull that claw hand into reality when you need it. But for the most part, literally they transform for a limited amount of time to be the, the next thing they need. Uh, but they're only, they're limited to the number of uses and the amount of kind of time they can be into that position. So like in play, how, how as a game master, could you kind of segment it, right? Like other than, I mean, there could be literally phases of play, I guess. If the, if the abilities that you have are so distinct that, you know, I'm not going to transform into my superpower self to help grandpa with the gardening, because <laughs> that's just going to scare poor grandpa to death. Like there's, there's, there's probably things that you can build into the story that like, they're like, clearly, even if you get into, like, if you get into a f- fight with a bully at school, you can't necessarily turn into your super self and punch the bully in half. Um, because that's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. going to create a real problem at the school, um, for you and your friends and your family and everybody else. So you have to like, you know, like th- that character, like put them in the position of like, well, if they, if they use their super strength, like if they, if they have any part of that, like that's, they're running the risk of like that being a real problem. So it forces them, forces the player to be like, oh, I'm going to talk my way out of this situation, or I'm going to stink my way out of this. And so like having a, a distinct different, distinctly different ways of handling different types of problems based on the mode that you're going to be in probably uh, pays off in, uh, uh, to, to kind of help delineate those, those types of things. I think that there are other things, if you want to do like a campy style, like 80s Saturday morning breakfast cereal style <laughs> game, you can literally have a commercial break when you need to. <laughs> I, I, I that's think incredible that, yeah i think it's actually one of the mechanics in what is that is is that game called saturday morning breakfast cereal hold on <laughs> <laughs> you could have a break for before the dramatic moment like ah this is the actual delineation we're getting into the super stuff um that's also a good chance for you to like if you're using a map to get your map on board to change the lighting to to change the music, everyone kind of takes a break, gets all geared up, um, and then you go, you come back from your quick break, and you're you're all set up and kind of in the right mindset. Um, that I don't think that works for a lot of, like a lot of genres, but I think it definitely works for something like a Transformers, a Pokemon, a, a Dragon Ball Z. You know, a transformation phase or a montage, like yeah. Craig was saying, like where it's literally like the okay, this is the real that we always play. It's the same, the same actual real. If it was the TV show, right? Yeah. They just they show everyone jump into battle again, or everyone tr- you know transform into their their next stage of evolution. Because that'd be the next thing too. Is any any long going series that has transformation generally has layers of transformation if the popularity continues. So. Um, but, you know, one transformation we didn't talk about, uh, which is very interesting, is, you know, like gender. Like, like there are literally um, a lot, like whether it's Ron Mahaff that was like a very old traditional, not old, but, you know, like it's kind of like one of the forefathers a lot of people think of, of like the title character. If they get doused with hot water, they turn into a female. Um, so they go male, female, like literally the character just gender swaps by being splashed with water. But otherwise, they're the same person. Um, which is uh, without going into a topic of gender, right? Uh, but it's interesting that like 
we when we think about being like going from like whether slice of life people um into superhero characters another thing that um has always been something that's been interesting for anime has for whatever reason has been maybe even difficult topics because people like to think of anime as being like anime is like horribly gory and brutal at times uh even like attack of titan is so popular these days and there's giant naked humanoids that are eating us with zero concern uh they you know they seem so alien to human beings because they're just we're, we're nothing to them they're just literally dropping us in their mouth like we were i don't eat insects but i'm trying to think of something small that you would eat living that you would just be like oh excellent um but anime goes to these places um so long for a long period of time anime has been considered like adult cartoons right mm -hmm. because of that like whether they're pushing something like hentai or they're pushing like actually like maybe even cannibalism if you want to think of that way with attack of titan they're not human but they're kind of in gender roles i mean like since like i don't remember how old round my half is but it's clearly at least the 80s what if you could be female what if you could be male what would your life be like it's interesting that it pushes these boundaries too and in a role-playing game that means that we could also experience these things yeah, different I, kinds of transformation beyond power you know it's a good way to teach rpgs in general it's such a good way to explore themes that you might not get a chance to explore very much I know a lot of people who have explored their gender through TTRPGs in general, their sexuality uh, through it. Um, I, I think as long as everyone's cool and everyone has, you know, you have your proper safety tools, that's a, it's a good space, I feel like, to explore themes that you want to talk about. In the, the background there, too, is mentioning safety tools are probably yes. something that are very useful in a lot of anime games, especially if you're playing with strangers, because oh, yeah. usually they're kind of like have no limiters, you know, otherwise. Oh yeah, for sure. One of the one of the suggestions you had on here is like how to tweak a game to become a little bit more anime. And yeah, because there are there are some anime style games that are out there. Um, it has it's there's a lot of different genres out there. Um, but how would you tweak your existing game to be more anime as a GM? So this is one of those things where the reason I thought it was a good topic for a game master is because so many anime games really look like a superhero game. They don't necessarily, and I'm making broad strokes here but a lot of them are, are kind of trad when it comes to um basic mechanics uh that usually just have energy points or some way that they can fuel these special abilities which maybe they unlock by having avatars or some level of character advancement that they can tap into once per day or something um but a lot of the mechanics um are just kind of like you could look at it for like on, on paper for what it is and be like oh i could see how i just play this like a superhero game but how do I make it anime? And I think part of it was some of the stuff we touched in the beginning is there's like emotional vulnerability. There's a little bit of like over-exaggeration. Um, some issues can be uh, bigger because there's slice of life elements. So I think there's a lot of like GM narrative that's really promoted by the game master kind of dealing with a lot of things that aren't usually mechanical in anime related rpgs um so i often hear a lot of people who are basically playing an anime version of DD or an anime version of savage worlds whether or not they're actually using any rules that were designed for an anime game quote unquote i think that playing with the the style of gameplay is the best way to do it if you are just like inventing whole cloths and new mechanics maybe you might just sort of play a different game um but some of my favorite genres of anime can work really well with something like DD. &D. if you are just going to stick with 5e for right now whenever the next edition comes out like the isekai genre which is a genre where you're transported to a different world um sometimes it's um within like a video game one of my favorites is called log horizon everyone kind of gets trapped in this video game world so they're the players and also <clears throat> gosh what's wrong with me today they're the players. <laughs> it's like virtually contagious. Yeah. You got like a left nostril thing. I couldn't flush before you walked in. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know what the deal is. So they're players and they're also like NPCs that have become like sentient um, in this world. And when the players die, they get reincarnated because it's a video game, but the NPCs die permanently. You could do something like that with your game. That kind of raises the stakes and makes sure that your players aren't just indiscriminately um, murdering people, uh, but also still allows them to be super like cool heroes. 
I love isekai. Uh, okay, another kind of isekai genre is Spirited Away, Alice in Wonderland. I mean, Spirited like Way. famous exactly. media touchstones on isekai, yeah. So maybe your players are p- normal people from the real world that have been transported into this magical fantasy world somehow. That just doing something simple like that, there's no setup required other than the story setup. Yeah. Maybe now their mission is to get out or to find out what's wrong. You know, and giving a little kudos to Studio Ghibli, you know, when it comes to things like children dealing with like death in the family and Izakai being like one of these, like, go on an adventure in this journey of like self-exploration. But you don't really ever know if it was all in their head or if it actually happened Mm -hmm. because they were just young trying to compartmentalize the loss of a father or a mother or, you know, brother or sister or something. Um, There was a video game, Nino Cooney, that kind of had that storyline, right, whisked away to some amazing fantasy world but there was elements in the story that were kind of reminding that really the big bad the kid was dealing with outside of the fantasy game was you know loss yeah i mean even scary video games like silent hill do that uh, yeah <laughs> silent hill is the same thing no spoilers but also spoilers uh i think you can if you if you string together enough of the kind of I hate to say I hate to use the word cliche but or stereotypical but it, I mean that's what they are right it's the cliches of of anime that we recognize um, like you can and just drawing from like some stuff some stuff I did a little digging online just to kind of wrap my head around it's like oh yeah 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 this stuff happens in some of the stuff that I have seen um, is you know the the exposition monologue where like some narrator tells you all about something like this happened in Robotech they the narrator told you who the who the Zentradi were and where they came from and what was all going on you like you as the viewer had all this information the the protagonist of the story didn't know they discovered this stuff during the course of the story um, and the players can portray their characters ignorant of that information but you can help to get the players in the mood of like uh you know like having like each arc of the story sets off with this moment where you describe like some information about the overarching storyline that's a that's about to come that's not giving them solutions to problems that's not going to make it easier for them to do the you know to overcome the challenges but it sets the stage you know and then there's like the the uh I, I love this one, um, which because it it happened. It, it's like the aloof love interest, the love interest who like totally doesn't notice or care or seem to care about the person who's yes. clearly sitting with them until such time as they finally open their eyes and realize, and then you know that becomes, you know, you can you can have you can have those little setups, just like just pick pick some of those little cliches, sprinkle them in there for for the players. Um, I mean, of course, this helps if the players. All, all are familiar enough like they know their way around anime a little bit so they, they're familiar with some of these tropes so that's why again i'm talking about picking the generalized you know the, the pick the stuff that's as general as possible the stuff that pops up so much in anime so that everybody sort of recognizes it when it's happening um one that struck me funny off of the list i was looking at is like when you see something unattractive or disgusting you have a violent nosebleed <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe not always something unattractive. Sometimes it's sometimes a nosebleed is a stand-in for um feeling a different kind of attraction. Yes. <laughs> um, but right, they're 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 you know, like there's these things like and I found myself I, for years I've made the joke about well, they're not really dead unless the eyeball's fallen out of their head. Because I watched Akira <laughs> and you're not really dead unless the eyeball is falling out of their head. So, you know, and you can, and it's, it's goofy and it's like, at times it'll, it'll elicit a little bit of a joke response and a laugh from people, but you can use it to kind of just like, you know, play to those tropes and get those things in there. And the idea is not so much to highlight that moment, but to just reinforce to with the players that you can do things that are anime style. I want you as the GM to describe your character's actions, doing things like they, they should emotionally respond the way anime characters emotionally respond. Like you were both talking about how anime characters tend to over emote. Like they very rarely carry a subtle emotion. <laughs> they Their eyes get really, really big when they're surprised. Um, when and they're, if when they do, they, they're, they're the aloof character, right? Like you were love, saying. Yeah, when they're in love, they literally swoon and little hearts pop above their heads and <laughs> like, you know, to encourage the players to embrace those things and let that all be, let that all happen because it, it, that way it, the burden of, of 
giving it the anime feel isn't entirely on you. So if you just reinforce it every so often, you can um, you can encourage the players to to bring that stuff forward as well. I, I love. Uh, thanks for you. You actually took it further in a good way that I that I was thinking right. Like that you take it so much for granted how like emotive, but like like you said, literally when you're watching the shows, their heart, their eyes could turn into giant hearts. Little hearts <laughs> could start floating. Like every character has their heart on their sleeve. Like it's one of one of the common tropes is there's always the like the really cool overconfident character. Like they, that's just like always in every major group, if not the bad guy. There's just the like, I'm better than you, like Chop the super glasses talented. And the glasses glare, like yeah. And, well, and then there's always like the um, we always have like some kind of comic relief character that's just swooning over someone, like that. Just there's always romance, whether it's like lust or like cutesy children, childish love, right? Like of this like desire that's there. Um, these things are like always evident. Um, but like you said, the players should just totally. Explain what you would see. Like it's it should be completely obvious. Um, yeah, when you when your character jumps into the fray, I want the description of this blurry background of just two colors that's just flying past them. Um, <laughs> you're not actually seeing a background; you just know they're moving really fast. When the annoying side character is hitting on your character, how do you kick them into the horizon? Like, show me this. Tell me. Well, and I'm so glad you said that because like that's something that really I think is super important is the players and the game master have to be on board with like people being able to break the rules when it comes to like destruction, uh, like physical damage, even if it's just to be cartooning over the top. But there's plenty of times like even like a high school setting where like some guy punches the floor and it cracks the ground and you're like, okay, I thought, is this slice of life or like, or they're slightly better. Cause like everyone in this school has like, you know, just more advanced or something, but <laughs> especially when it comes to destruction, you can't be like, it would really break the mood. If this was one of those games where you're, you're calculating in the background, you're doing the roles as the game master for the destruction of property and seeing if they actually did enough for damage thresholds. And you know, cause some games have those, like, mm -hmm. did, did you damage the wall? Well, it's got a hardness of this and you need such and such damage, right? Um, you need the players to have the Liberty of being like, well, I kick this person like over the fence. Uh, and if it's just comical, then yeah, maybe you did. Cause they, they were like hitting on you over and over again. Fight, 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 smash this, smash that. And then somebody leans against the wall and the whole building falls. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. When it comes to destruction and gore, right? Like these are things that almost like need to be like have liberties with. They're um, one of the anime that I just finished watching. It's called Love is War. And one of the transitions between seasons is that they are blowing up a huge balloon in the student council room. I don't remember exactly why they're doing this, but they blow up this huge <laughs> balloon and it destroys the entire school. Like, and everyone's flying away. You get to see all the characters just like saying goodbye. It's like this funny little send off. And then the next season, like they make it seem like, yes, this happened, but then the school falls back down and it gets, it's, it's very funny. I loved that. And it's fine to break the rules in an anime because it, it, it's a cartoon. When it comes down to it, it's a cartoon. If it was meant to be super realistic, it would be live action. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times, right, it's probably because the limitations uh, of what we could do in live action, especially like in the 80s and 90s when it was becoming more prominent here in the States. I mean, now we see with the Marvel movies, like you could do anything if you had the budget. But like, um, well, yeah. Hell, half used to of be those are cartoons anyway. It's just called CGI. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Have you two seen Edge Runners yet? No. Okay. Edge Runners is the cyberpunk anime that's on Netflix right now, and it's incredible. It's just absolutely incredible. But it's next level when it comes to some things, and then some things are almost like they feel nostalgic if you were like an 80s, mm -hmm. 90s anime person. Like how they deal with um, it's it's very you know, clearly cyberpunk, but like one of the characters has like uh, increased reflexes by a, a spinal device and they do this like tracer effect to like show you when they're moving around, which at first is kind of like cheesy, but it's funny because it gives me a little bit of nostalgia feels of like anime, but you, you kind of get a kick out of it over time. But you know, where every episode is like so brutal. Cause like, it's just one of those things they can do literally. Like you said, Craig, like if the eyes don't fall on your head, you might just return the next episode with a cyber skull or whatever it is. <laughs> um, and I love how they deal with if both of you, I know Craig, you've been doing cyber research uh, or cyberpunk research when it comes to games, but like these, you know, trauma packages that are popularized by Shadowrun and cyberpunk of like, 
if the rich can afford it, trauma teams that come pull you out, you know, like right when you would have been left for dead, or the trauma teams that don't pull you out because your package wasn't good enough. Now, now we've been we've been talking about jamming for a while. We can switch over to designing topics, or we can keep kind of talking about how we're modifying uh, existing games or existing jamming styles. Sure. How do you guys yeah. feel? I think I think you're right. We should probably start at least moving in that direction as we, you know, hit the the last third or whatever we got. Right. So yeah, how can we design our games? How can we design a game that allows us to promote the things that we're saying that you should promote as a GM? So making that switch over, okay, I want a game that does these things so I don't have to do that work as a GM, which yeah. is how I start my design philosophy in general. I, I really, I, the, you know, the big thing I want to throw out there first was like one of the cool things that's really been embraced for years and years. I mean, there's kind of two kinds of, maybe you could say this about everything, but two kinds of anime RPGs that exist. There's the, you know, the broad, like uh, big eye, small mouth, like the games that like, hey, you can do anything anime in this game. And like I said, I, I don't, it's probably an oversimplification, but I feel like a lot of times these products are like, it's almost a superhero game that you gave me, like a, a model to make superhero games um, that are usually not so specifically like, let's not get mutants and masterminds of like, how many points are we spending on each power, but similar, right? Like a little trimmed down. But on the indie scene, there have been some amazing games in particular, because like you said, with the balloon, anime stories can be so specific and weird that there've been all these indie games that are like, I want to play that, like that. Like whether it's Golden Sky Stories, where you're like literally animals who've wandered into a village and here you turn into a humanoid. So the whole game, this game that praises itself on being a heartwarming game, a game of like nonviolence, is really about animals who have wandered into a village and are now, you are people who live in this village. You're humans, but only in this village. What does that look like? That's the game, right? Like, uh, what, uh, one of the things I brought up earlier was Kagumatsu. Uh, I wanted to mention, or like there is one Ronin samurai in this village and it's kind of trying to be historical, like 1500s Japan and the players, the whole group of players, and you could flip this, but because it's historical are women and you're all trying to woo the one samurai <laughs> to stay there and protect the village when, when the people come. Um, but that's, what's cool is that literally like you need one player uh, to play uh, a, a male role, or if you flip it, female role, and then all the other players have to be the opposite as they try to woo. So um, uh, at least in character, right? Um, so these are unique, very specific, targeted, amazing games that fit the indie scene because everything was made for it. The Mountain Witch is another famous uh, game, uh, which there was a remake that never came, but um, you're playing the group of heroes that is climbing to the top of the mountain where you will fight the witch and we will all probably die. But it's this uh, 13th warrior sort of story of like the story of us on our way up and the mm -hmm. journey, knowing that it doesn't matter. Like this is our life's purpose and we're here where we are the tools of society to serve. Um, so just having the flips of both sides, I wanted to kind of preface like what's there. And there's a lot of ninja games and, you know, made right like if you want to be like you are you are the the queeners and the butlers and the people and something happened to the master of the house i mean there's a huge genre of anime that involves maids and butlers and like pseudo british like you know lordship style stuff i like that genre a lot um black butler is one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite anime I, I forgot about that yeah oh my gosh so uh I, yeah, I think that like there's so much in the indie scene right now, and I think it's because a lot of um, a lot of new game designers are they have come of age. I mean, we have, I mean, all of us here we watch stuff like Robotech or Transformers or Voltron or um, even more anime. Like I, I watched so much anime growing up, and now we're making games about it. So I think that it's just what we want to do now. It's like you said, Pete, at the beginning, we we write the kinds of stories of the media that we're consuming, uh, kind of transforming that. We want to play the things that we like, the stories we like. We want to play those games. Uh, Craig, I didn't think about it, but, you know, business hat, right? Like Kickstarter crowdfunders are always looking to grab additional audiences. You know, when you have large tropes of like 
butler stories in anime you don't need to be the black butler game but you could be made you know or something mm-hmm. so it is interesting to think about how like ripe for content you know there are there are games here that have markets of people who you know are out there being like oh that's like black butler look i would at, love that look at the avatar kickstarter oh yeah yeah right. <laughs> like that's the huge example of the popularity of the genre and of that series in particular um but that involves you getting rights to an extremely popular yeah. uh, anime. Uh, Spending 15 goals. years building up to that sort of goal exactly. of g- yes. getting a license for something like that, which <laughs> exactly. is what Magpie Games did. Um, <laughs> but, which might yeah. not be, you know, but you can make a pseudo style. Yeah, you can scratch the serial number off of pretty much anything. Like you can yeah. make a, like Commandroids, we were talking about exactly. Commandroids just plays off of that. And there's there's plenty of, there's plenty of nostalgia games. And, and most of the nostalgia games that are in the indie space are exactly that. They are, you know, scratch the serial numbers off of something that you loved. You're getting a chance as a game designer to recreate the thing you love from your childhood because you don't Commandroids. watch yeah. it as much or, or, or it's not available or you just don't have the time or whatever. So, I mean, I think when it comes to the design side of things, probably the thing that, that strikes me the most right off the bat is Jess's remark about, you know, the, the big scene at the end, if that's a fight or whatever, it might be the big conflict that is dealt with at the end is also the seat of the emotional um, resolution of something that's going on with the characters. And so like design wise, tying emotional stuff into that might be the way to go with, with design. It may be like, if you get into this, um this fight um that you know revealing something emotional about your character or having something emotional resolve uh for your character in that moment like if you if, you know you may design the game to have like you've got like each character has like these emotional needs or emotional goals and so if when whenever you deal with one of them or take a step toward dealing with one of them or uh, recognize that you have that problem or whatever that empowers you that like now that gives you a point in the game so now you can be better at the fight or whatever the conflict is that you're trying to overcome and 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 let the two of them actually play together um or having like literally the the emotional thing tied specifically to whatever the conflict is like and that becomes like from a design standpoint that becomes more about designing for the GM and telling the GM, like, these are the things you should tie together. Like if, if the characters are going to have a big emotional um, conflict at the end, well, what, what is it? Like, is it the characters have like a, um, a mentor who betrayed them and now they're out to um, either, you know, confront the mentor, bring them to justice, get them to switch and repent, you know, or whatever it is. And so like the, the, the conflict that they're dealing with is emotional at its core. It's not just like saving the village or saving, you know, whatever, rescuing somebody. Um, it's literally trying to fix um, something that went terribly wrong emotionally in, in their own character histories. And so that becomes like from a, from a game designer standpoint, less about mechanics and more about, setting expectations of what the GM is going to prepare as a story. So for the means of magic, we were like super inspired by Final Fantasy, uh, particularly Final Fantasy seven. And also just, you know, the way I like to play games, I like to play things with a lot of heavy emotions and exciting stakes. So we were talking earlier about those big dramatic moments and overreactions in the means of magic. We incorporated something like that into our, into our setting where as you are moving through a scene, you are building up tension within yourself. You are like your, your stress levels are increasing. And once you hit a certain point, once you've, you know, it's, you're rolling around along a track, once you break your stress, you have an emotional, you have an outsized emotional reaction to that. Like whatever your reaction to stress is, it is going to come out in that moment. Maybe you're super angry. You punch the table in half. Maybe you um, become very sad and withdrawn from people and you just don't want to like deal with anything anymore. Like whatever your emotional response is, it must come to play during that scene. And if it doesn't, the world reacts and the narrator gets to pick something else that happens, which is never (laughs) what you want to happen. (laughs) And we also have in the system, um, we say explicitly like any of these rules can be bent or even broken to make your like your character has one special trait you get to use that 
or your, your, um, or your narrative or your mechanical benefit from your stress break too. Cause you also get something good that happens when, when you get to role play your bad thing, you get a good thing to happen to you mechanically. Sure, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. You get to break, you get to break or bend the rules as written in the game to make your character feel unique and cool and exciting, which is what you want. If you're playing an anime style game, which means a magic, I wouldn't call an anime style game. I call it more of a JRPG style game, but you want your you want the characters to feel bombastic and powerful and cool because that's the purpose. You don't necessarily need to worry so much about the balance of like, oh, are they going to be too strong? There's no such thing. There's no such thing. In in Dragon Ball Z, if you can do a spirit bomb and explode a whole galaxy, there's no such thing as too powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the biggest things you mentioned there too, that's really important that we all probably adhere to is like the rule of cool. Like games should have moments that allow players to kind of do the coolest thing possible in whatever the targeted vision of the game is, right? Like if we don't allow them to do that, then we're really missing the point of what we were going for, whether it's, uh, you know, a romance of the three kingdoms, like social uh, diplomatic game, they should be able to speak uh, and sur- ask, uh, you know, treaty with other you know, major rulers and go to them and confront them and ask for their surrender, knowing that it may be the the lead to their death, mm-hmm. right? But then they should be able to succeed as well as horribly fail, right? So um, it's really cool to hear you say you're doing that because, right, like that's, I mean, that that sometimes like we we lose that in the 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 widgets and the pieces and the components and the levers of game design of like. They should be able to do it. At least it should, in the theater of the mind, look as cool as possible. Right? Yeah. Again, it's not, if it were meant to be realistic, it would be live action. There, if, if you're making an anime game, let it be cool. Let it be, let it be as dynamic as it can be without having to worry about, oh no, but this is, this movie is stronger than this one. Come on. Again, <laughs> Dragon Ball Z, you have Krillin and you have Goku. <laughs> they are not the same. I'm sorry, Krillin fans. They are not the same. <laughs> so. I don't know what that means at all, but <laughs> there are there are people I, out there. I, they're like, I, yes, guess, Jess, I understand. I'm sure. I'm sure you're making a point. <laughs> Krillin is a small, bald man. He's gotcha. small, and he is not as powerful as Goku, who is a <laughs> Super Saiyan, uh, who is extremely, extremely powerful. Um, <laughs> like, like it's like. I gotcha. Um, gotcha. (laughs) It's Captain America and Daredevil. They're not the same. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) You know, one thing I I think that's interesting that you kind of you brought up and, you know, was making me think of I'm trying to keep the train of thought going was like having some means of mechanically like giving I I usually say giving teeth to mechanics like uh, you could, of course, be like, hey, ask them a question in character creation. But then if there's no teeth to it, they don't do it. They can just skip it, right? Because there's not necessarily value to it uh, in the game rules, um, which anyway, that's a whole different topic. But the having mechanics that like kind of force side side quests or um, things that like slights in your life, um, getting dumped or having... Uh, like someone can looked over for a promotion for these things to actually have meaning and for them to revisit you. Right. Like, um, because it's very easy for us, you know, as we, especially as the game master, we're working on the A plot, but like for the B plot, not to go away, like, okay, well this little B plot thing's happening. Cause like, especially when I think of something like power Rangers, like a lot of these, especially slice of life, they almost always have like, there is the, the human problem, like the, the math test. And then there's the super problem that happens that they also have to race back after completing to get back to the math test and be prepared. And sometimes they have to use their math in order to solve the big monster problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes it comes up. I like that uh, I, one of my favorite things about the Robotech game that was made by Strange Machine Games was uh, they had a little thing that was like kind of like a social damage system. And if you let any of these little things go, you would take a damage that would start like you'd have like a five hit point bar if you want to think of it that way. And like it would black out parts until you resolve them. So it was a way of the game master also keeping track of like, if you let this like fester, it just, you know, you have less ability to deal with stressors. Um, And what happened, it was very similar, but like maybe yours, you might be even cooler in the the game you're talking that you're working on was that uh, like it would, you would snap. 
right? You had some personality trait that would snap. And that was very anime, right? Like to force mechanically some way of having overreaction from the characters if they leave unresolved issues because you want them to be dealing with this duality of problems usually. So um, as a game designer, I feel like that, I mean, maybe even with good strong hands, Craig, you know, like you have a little bit of that with the tracks of like, um, your actions now, if you keep continuing, there will be further corruption that you will have to deal with later, right? So um, yep. it's, it's interesting for these games to have some kind of mechanic that's forcing these uh, usually mundane storylines to have teeth because players, we care about the, the, the A plot, right? <laughs> the world's ending. We better stop that. But Yeah, I've been toying around with the idea of having like skill trees associated with actions taken by the players. Like you cannot unlock this skill until you until you reconcile with your dad like whatever it is <laughs> um and i think something like that would be useful for kind of what you're talking about like not only are sure. are there like consequences but there are things you, like so there are things that get taken away but there are also things that get given to you as a result um like you can't for power rangers you can't become the white power ranger until you die and get resurrected you know as you do in an anime <laughs> uh, so it doesn't like not without railroading your players because maybe they'll choose a different path and maybe they'll get a different outcome from that um, like rewarding your players, which we also do a little bit in Means of Magic, like rewarding your players with a skill because of something they did in game. Like they have unlocked now their ability because they are trying so hard in battle or because the girl rejected them or whatever it is. Um, and I, I love the like the like, yeah, your ability to become, like, to deal with stressors becomes less because you're letting stuff fester. Corruption is happening. Like, all of that is so anime. I want to I yeah. go watch anime now. <laughs> Forcing overreactions, you know, yeah. yeah. For, yeah. for the players who may not lean well into it, the game making them have these moments, right? Now, my mind is reeling on the idea of a game where you don't gain experience points to advance your character. Literally, you have to make a choice and say, okay, I've got this emotional thing that my character has to deal with. And once I've dealt with that, I can advance and gain points to spend on whatever or gain the next ability or whatever. And then if I, if at some point down the road, and this gives the GM so much fodder somewhere down the road, like we'll, we'll just stick with Jess's example of like, you know, reconciling with your, with your parent. Um, you can't great, you can't gain your next cool ability until you reconcile with your parents. So you reconcile with your parent, you gain the ability. And then, you know, 10 game sessions later, you have an argument with that parent <laughs> and you lose that ability <laughs> until you reconcile <laughs> with yeah. the parent again. Um, and building an entire game around the idea of, of that sort of thing where like all of the, like so much of the story becomes driven towards like it ties like so specifically to story, um, character goals, relationships, story goals, emotional tie-ins to those story goals and the actual mechanical thing of like the cool ability. Um, damn. I know, I know in monsters and other challenges. I want to design that game now. <laughs> Monsters and other childish things uh, has has like the preliminary aspect of what you're talking about, but I'd love to see you take it the next step, which was literally the kid. The, you play kids, right? And they have relationships that they can pull on for extra dice. That's the whole mechanic. But if they fail when they get the extra dice, um, they then crack the relationship. So the idea was like, you know, your mom every day says, if you eat your Cheerios, you're going to do better in school because you're smarter. And then so you are taking, I've mentioned math, we mentioned, we said math test. So you're taking the math test later and you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to take dice from my mom's relationship, add them to my role here because I ate my Cheerios this morning. <laughs> and when, when mom and I were talking about it, I was telling her when I eat my Cheerios, I'm smarter. And she nodded her head in agreement. Right now, I'm rolling to see if I do well in the math test. But if you fail, literally, it's like you've cracked that. Like, there's doubt. But then it creates the need for scenes to restore it of, like, I forget, you know, it's basically spending time. You're like, you have to make an action roll of some kind and it has to succeed to, like, start restoring the dice. But it's just a die pool ad. Like, Craig, it's so much cooler if it's a little more specific than that, right? Like if it was like either specific moments or specific things or it affects certain roles or an ability. So yeah, I would love to see like the, the the next evolutionary step there because it's a little vague with the the general version in the case of the kids. But 
And that game has almost certainly been designed. Like what I just described is probably out there in a dozen different games right now because I've not read them all, but I'm just saying, because oh, I know that people will be like, well, that that game is, you know, this, you should check out this. Um, and if you think of that and you got me on Twitter or whatever, yeah, like, let me know. I'd, I'd be curious to see how somebody um, tied those things together so specifically. Yeah. yeah. That, that's the that's the whole downfall of talking about any kind of mechanics or games or genres out there. Like, oh, someone already did this. Like, I, you know, I came up me, with this great idea. Let yeah. me do it too, okay? It's gonna be different. Just let me do it too. Well, you we we have DC and we have Marvel. Let me exist. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with it, right? If anything, if in every game you make, it's almost like you should be grabbing all of the coolest technology that's out there, slapping it in, unless you can build further on it, right? Because we should be evolving. So um, it's cool, uh, but yeah, it should never be a deterrent. Hopefully, anyone who's on the game design side that hears things like that, like that, should never deter you. That should be a cool. I'm going to check that out. Because I'm gonna now that I, I can see it that it works or how it works, I can build on it. Oh, someone else thought this idea was cool. That means it's good. That's yeah. how I well, think about it. <laughs> it's funny because like th- that game is like a you know multiple any award winner. So you probably uh, if it was me and it was random, I'd be like, oh, so it must be good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Real quick, my response to that argument because I got that argument on occasion from people. Um, which is somebody, you know, like you describe you, you're really excited to describe your game idea and they go, oh, that game already exists. It's blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, it, my, that game does not exist because I haven't finished designing it yet because <laughs> my version of the game does not exist yet. It will be different than the thing that you've just pointed me to because it's going to be like the, the other designer put their heart and soul and their experiences and interests into it. And I'm going to do the same. So that's just my little note for aspiring game de- designers out there. The game, no, no, the, no, your game doesn't already exist because you haven't finished designing it. I don't care how similar something else is. That's true. And a lot of times I, being that person before, right, there's the, there's a limitation in words. <laughs> there's a limitation in an elevator pitch, especially yep. when you haven't been selling it for years, when it gets fine-tuned, right? Um, there's plenty of times I've had people tell me that, right? And that it, it's not the case, but it's, you know, it sounds similar. It's kind of like that, uh, broadly like that, but not specifically like that. And there's, I mean, there's so much room in role playing. Cool. Then you can tell them this too. Cool. Sounds like there's an audience for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that game already exists. Great. There's already people out there that like that type of a game. I'm sure they'll like mine too, yeah. or at least some of them will. <laughs> Pete, got any final thoughts on anime? You know, I think the biggest final thought was hopefully we've kind of showcased it a little bit that like, Anime games are really a lot, they're very similar in a lot of ways to a lot of the things we already do. They're just an amplification of certain aspects, whether it's emotions, uh, whether it's vulnerability, maybe it's boss fights, so combat, uh, an extreme on when it comes to breaking the rules of some things, whether it's gender swapping, transformation, uh, brutality and gore, um, shock and awe at times. Um, but it's also a collection of whether it's stories that are built on um dealing with like lost love or, you know, serving in the face of death. Um, it's really just, it's, it's, I don't even know if it's a genre, right? It's a style of animation, but a style that we could be using in all of our games already. Um, and just a lot of collection of tropes and archetypes that, uh, you know, they shouldn't be so either offensive or in, in, inviting to people because they're just, they're already, it permeates so much of what we already consume. You know, whether it's Pokemon or Sailor Moon or Power Rangers or um, the list goes on. So, Transformers. Well, thank you again for joining us, Pete. Where can we find you and your stuff? Yeah, see, so, uh, ImaginingGames.com. Uh, that's my game company and my site. Um, I'll see I'll see probably both of you at PAX Unplugged. Uh, so, oh, well, I'll miss you, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so PAX Unplugged's coming right around the corner. Do you have a booth number? Uh, three, 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 seven. Awesome. Sounds weird if you say 3,337. Yeah, that doesn't fit my brain as well. It's 3337. There's not that many booths, uh, but it sounds really big. Go find Pete and his games (laughs) at booth 3337. Uh, You can find me on the internet at wannabegames.com or on Twitter or Tumblr under Joska. It's J-A-W-S-K-A. I got a TikTok recently and I haven't done anything with it. But keep an eye out for that. Keep it. I'm gonna start. Gonna start TikTok and gonna start doing those things. Kudos to you. Yeah. 
<laughs> you can get the means of magic as well. It's on Drive Your RPG and Itch. So if if you want to play a Final Fantasy VII inspired game, go check I that one out. I thought for sure we'd get there. We didn't even really talk on all the <laughs> Japanese animation, uh, Japanese no. role playing games that most of us grew up on. So yeah, yeah, that's a different topic entirely. I feel yeah, like. yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, I'm not going to be at PAX, uh, but go visit the IGDM booth, which is, let me, let me grab that. You can, you can find the IGDM booth. That's the Indie Game Developer Network at booth 3650 at PAX. And, uh, all my stuff is at nerdburgergames.com. The, uh, that's the website, uh, drive through RPGs where you can find the games to buy. I'm at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter and I will be, Nerdburger Games will be at, uh, PAX as well. Uh, booth number 4056. And now that we've all said this, I have to make sure this goes up before PAX. I was just thinking that. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, we are recording early, but that's okay. We'll get it up before PAX just in case anybody listens to this and then comes out there. So, this won't there be another go. Thanksgiving, me making a Thanksgiving <laughs> joke up at the top of the episode and then forgetting to send the episode to Craig. It's not going to be one of those. Thank all of you for listening. Thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is Avel by Steph Sachs, licensed into Creative Commons. Uh, S Y by S A 2.5. And thank all of you for listening. We'll see you back here next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>